Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8. If you're there, you say amen. I'm going to share a few things that seem easy, but they are very complicated. Praise the Lord Jesus. They seem what? Easy, but they're very what? Complicated. Hallelujah. When the Bible says that it is given to you to know the mysteries of heaven, it means that there are certain people who find these things very hard, but for it is given you to know them. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to explain something that is at the core of why you see the Church of Christ the way it is. Because if we don't really show people the reason why the church is as it is, many people will not appreciate where we're going as a church, as a body of Christ, from whichever ministry you come from. Hallelujah. The Bible says that there is a way that seemeth rightful to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. So when the Bible says that that way seemeth right unto a man, but the end there are the ways of destruction or death, it means that there are many things people regard as true and right, but in the very things there is death. Death is not found in the corridors of things that look most dangerous. Death is found in the corridors of things that look more right. And that is why to many people, the gospel can only minister to them to the degree of how much reasoning is attached to it, but not necessarily the efficacy of the word, the integrity of truth as it is. Hallelujah. In this life, okay, there are two kinds of Christians. When the Bible says, one time I made an example somewhere, and I told them that when the Bible says that Scatter your bread upon the waters, for you know it's not which returneth. Eh? It means that there is a place where a Christian can just say, this is my bread, let me just scatter it, cast it on the what? Waters. Because I shall find it what? After many days. But when I'm scattering, sometimes I don't know what will return. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And what will not what? will return. I'm just doing what? Casting. Now because of the nature of the waves wherewith I cast my bread, in one or another, as the waters continue to move, some of this bread, when the Bible says I shall find it after many days, I might not find it all as I should, but it was important that I did what? Cast it on the waters to go anyways. But as you continue to grow in God, you realize you don't just cast there is a mind in what, there is a mind in the casting. There is a mind in, in why we cast whatever we cast. There was a time when 
it was okay for somebody to say born again. But now it's important to know what do you mean by being born again? What, what do you understand by being born again? Are you just casting a shadow of salvation? What is the salvation you're talking about? So in this instance, the place of scattering also defines the nature of bread, bread sorry, that I scatter or the nature of water on which I scatter my bread. And when our Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us, he tells us, okay, there's a place where it's all bread, but he tells us, but take heed of the leaven of the Pharisees. At that particular point, it's important to say, okay, now all of us are casting bread. There was a time it was important that we were casting bread. But Jesus tells us, but there is bread that has leaven. That kind of leaven, take heed of it. Don't cast bread that has leaven in it. You get my point? So there's someone here at the outer court saying, ah, me, I'm casting bread, and that's okay. But there's another one going and growing into God to know the nature of bread you must cast on the water. Because it defines the kind of bread that returns to you. So when he says that take heed, beware of the living of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it means that the bread of the new creation, which the Christ is trying to raise in the Christian, must not carry living. Because a little living, the Bible says, does what? Scatters the whole lamp. So sometimes these small things that we do in the gospel, they define a lot of the general picture of the church. So to, this, to, to, to a certain Christian right now, there's a Christian who now understands the difference between casting bread without living and casting bread with living. But they are both casting bread. Do you understand what I mean? Now we are a church, we are a body of Christ that is now graduating to the place of saying, okay, now I have grown to the place of knowing that I must cast bread. But can I now mature to defining the nature of bread I must cast? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that is where we're coming from. When you look at somebody like Paul, the apostle, the Bible says he was born in Tarsus, Cilicia, which is no mean city. He was raised during the time of Alexander. During that time, of course, the Greek guys had authority. The Roman guys had authority over the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. It was also a nature of bondage. Because even though they are God's people, they are really under bondage to another government. And that government determined and defined many of the things that the people down here could do. Because the danger of any government in this world is to have a people which are unpredictable. And Christians are unpredictable. Because they don't move by, by sight, they move by faith. They, I mean, how can they have words in the scriptures like whatsoever you ask? No economy can provide for that kind of word, that word whatsoever. No economy, no, no economy, no human opinion can define that. Already, that makes you unpredictable among them which are with. So even though the Bible says, even though you're with them, you're not of them. It means there's something about you that is different. So how do you plan and say, this is our annual budget? And you're planning for people who don't work in, in, in a Ugandan budget, but you're planning for them. People who can cause inflation by simply causing a, a fish to produce money. It wasn't made from the central bank. It wasn't signed by the governor, but it looks like it was signed by a certain governor. And it can be exchanged to pay taxes. Those kinds of people are unpredictable. So there is a place where you must make them predictable. And the things that the Alexanders are looking for is one thing. Put the Christian person in prediction. Because if he is predictable, then we can rule. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Every government in this world knows the most dangerous person is somebody who can speak 
But without speaking the language, men understand. Because you can throw us in prison cell and we start to remember. Which code can interpret that? So do you realize how dangerous you are? So of course, through the rewards of the sects, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, through their philosophies, the mind of changing the word or the words of God into the Greek, all of those things were in one way or another seeking to wrap the Greek, the Roman culture above the Jewish culture. Because the Jewish culture in its own has a wealth of things that if truly defined from that root can define God in realms and dimensions that you can never imagine. And that is why this man can get guys and put them on an island and tell them, translate for me the whole testament, whole Old Testament, from the Jewish line to the Greek, in what you people call the Septuagint. And he makes sure that if you're writing the, the New Testament, make sure that the New Testament is written entirely in the Greek language. But there's a problem if the original language in which God spoke was Hebrew. There's a reason why Muslims have refused to remove the Arabic. Because in its own, there is something it defines right therein. Hallelujah. So, of course, the average Christian can say, ah, because it's already in English. Yes. But not all the Bibles and versions that you all carry here, all are true. There are some versions, like that I was showing somebody, the NIV, and I was showing him missing verses. They are not there. Somebody just removed them. You get my point? And somebody says, this is the best Bible to read. They read it. Do you understand where I'm coming from? No, of course, I'm not saying, now nah, I'm waging one on NIV. No. I'm waging one the Christian who doesn't know the difference. Hallelujah. So when you change things from the Greek and Hebrew, okay? From the Hebrew to Greek. There's somebody who might not understand the effect and consequence of that, but there is a deeper underlying consequence of that than you can ever imagine. I'll give you an example. When Jesus found a child which was dead, the scripture tells us he goes to that child and tells her, Talitha Kumai. Which language was that? Aramaic. He speak in Aramaic and says, Talitha Kumai. Meaning, little girl do what? Rise up and walk. But if you come from the Aramaic and come to the Hebrew, the word Talith does not represent little girl. You get my point? The word Talith represents the, the, the cloth that they used to use for prayer with hinges of the scriptures. You get my point? Which is the very thing some people call talita. Okay? It's like when you say talita or talit in the Hebrew, it is different from the way the Aramaic hears it. The Aramaic hears little girl, the other guy hears prayer clothes. And many of those prayer clothes, for those of you who have them or have seen them, they carry scriptures all around them and all these scriptures are entirely the revelational power of God to heal mankind. That's the total sum of those scriptures. So like somebody says, Talitha Kuma in the Aramaic meaning damsel come up, the Hebrew man might represent it as this little girl wrapped up in the word come out. Meaning anything, if it dies but it is in the word, it can come out. You get it? But you see, revelation is throttled if that language is killed and you put it in a direct language to report. Because if it was reported in the Hebrew, it would not be reported as Talitha. And therefore we miss the mystery and testimony where we, God is trying to tell us that if you are relating with the word, if you, anything dies but it is in the word, it can come out. It can come out. 
So he's literally saying, you which is wrapped up in the word, come up. Because you're in the word, come up. So when Jesus says she's not dead, she's sleeping, he knows what he's saying. Because people in the world don't die, they sleep. Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. We shall be caught up. It takes us to the truth of the rapture. The reality of things that not all of us are going to die. But if the translation is killed, it might kill the testimony from where we draw all these truths. So do you see how serious it is? So when you come to the Greek language now in the book of Acts, they are giving you stories and now they give us the experience of Paul meeting God. So, and the Bible says, and he spoke to me in the Hebrew language. Is it? He, said, he spoke to me in the Hebrew language, saying, Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecutest me? In my own understanding, I preferred when the Lord spoke in Hebrew, we respected the Hebrew and created it and put, because maybe just there, there would have been a distinction and definition of what it took or, or a certain mystery behind what it takes to convert men. Maybe. Maybe. Hallelujah. Maybe. But he says, but he spake unto me in a Hebrew language. Peter is reporting. But they are reporting to us in a Greek language. When you say agape, the word agape existed before the gospel was introduced to those people. The depths of love in God goes far as the relationship that he had with the children of Israel. The children of Israel can best understand love than a Greek man. That is why the Greeks seek after wisdom. There are things that can appeal to wisdom, but love transcends wisdom. It transcends wisdom. So then, how do we define love in, from the Hebrew perspective? To the people who saw him from the first patriarchs to the promises that he made their forefathers because if we are defining that distinction you realize that the judgments of god working in many of the affairs work circumspectly in our lives because of the promise god made to our forefathers the bible says that he is the god that giveth us power to make wealth that he might establish the promise that he made with your forefathers you understand me being rich is god fulfilling abraham's promise He's already in heaven saying, hey God, why is this guy walking like this? Because he knows you're not supposed to be poor. So even your wealth is way bigger than that he might establish his covenant, which is where by the fathers, your fathers. So some of you don't realize that you, your wealth is bigger than your cousin's witchcraft. Simanya, your stepmother's thing that she put under your bed. Simanya, your cousin uncle, cousin uncle, sorry, your cousin's whatever, the, the one he put in your shoe. And then, and then we now put you to deliverance services of Simanya, your cousin stole your nickel. Let them take more. Let them take more. Because this is not what your cousin has done. This is 100% the promise that he made to Abraham. The Bible says that your father Abraham rejoiced seeing this day. So when God meets Abraham and he shows him 2015, the Bible says Abraham started to dance. I think Sarah was there cooking. And then he started to see an old man dancing. He said, But why is he dancing? Because he's seeing you. You mandarabakashatala. You rebabakatala. And he can't wait to, oh, he's saying, oh God, oh God. You know, sometimes I get a feeling that sometimes I preach eh, and guys in heaven scream. Because if, Ab if Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced, 
Don't you realize that what we do on the earth has a direct effect in the heavenlies? The scriptures speak of Stephen. The Bible says he preached Christ until Jesus stood up and he says, oh, and the heavens open and he says, behold, I see the son of God standing on the right hand. The one you knew and you were taught was seated. But Stephen preached until Jesus lost appetite and sleep and says, no guy, preach, preach. I don't know whether you understand. He said, the heavens opened and he said, behold, I see the son of man standing on the right hand of the father. There was something that Stephen preached. There's something that he said. You read it, sir. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand of the father. Yet the scriptures always tell us that he's seated. He's seated. But when Stephen started to explain the Christ from the patriarchs, mama, 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 mama. There was no way the Christ could sit down. No. That's why I realize that sometimes there's a white preach and I feel like Jesus is standing up. You don't need to believe me. You don't need to what? To believe me. Me, I read it in the scriptures. You can also put your name and claim it. Be it done unto you according to your faith. Do business until Jesus stands up. Prophesy until Jesus stands up. Do something until the Christ says, uh -uh, this chair is too much for me. I have a feeling even the heavenly hosts enjoy such meetings. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because you see, even God enjoys our meetings. Jehovah God. The Bible says, and, and the Lord, <laughs> he he says, while they sat to speak, then that feared on his name. The Bible says he came and he heard. He inclined his ears and heard. And the Bible says, and a book of remembrance was written. God had some people speaking mystery. And he came from heaven and he sat to hear mystery. And he said, I have you know, be deep in your letter notes. Then he gets an angel and he says, come and start writing. They that feared the Lord often spake. And the Lord did what? Do you know the meaning of hearkening? Deep hearing, you understand? And he what? And a book of what? Remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that sought upon his name. There's something some of you sit down to talk about and God says, no, this is too important to fall on the ground. And he says, I shall not let my word fall on the ground. I shall not let my word fall on the ground and the bible says and the book of remembrance was written that means he appoints heavenly scribes to write some of our things because they are too important to go on the ground he said when i send forth my word it shall not it shall return back to me with effect it cannot come back void the one of god is that important that he guards it now, when those books of remembrance are written, they're not for us to go to heaven and remember. No, because we shall be changed. Those books are for people who are going to come 20 years if peradventure they know how to walk in the heavenlies. Because in heaven, I saw a library one time. And I'm not joking, I'm serious. There are books in the heavenlies. Now, there are books in the heavenlies. And those books are not going to benefit you when you go to heaven. Because you'll carry another nature and another form. In heaven, there are no 
healing meetings because men there don't fall sick. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit on the earth is a to entirely minister healing. But when it's in heaven, the Holy Ghost has a different ministry in the heavenlies. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, if a guy in the Old Testament can sneak into heaven and he hears Father God completing a conversation, whom shall we send? And the dear guy out of desperate, just send me. He didn't even know why they sent him. Just send me, Lord. And God just anoints the guy because he availed himself. How much more ye? We are seated in Christ Jesus. Far above all principalities and powers. In him you live, move, and have your own being. You're hearing conversations. But it's a faith issue. If your heart hasn't yet held it, it cannot manifest in your life. Let me tell you, the life of the spirit is a faith life. It's a faith life. That is why he says, if a man should prophesy, let him prophesy according to his level of faith. Not according to how much he has seen. We all see. We just don't carry the evidence of those things we see and the substance so dearly. But when we give ourselves wholly to these things, the Bible says that our profiting will be evident among all. That is why we hold on to these things. That's why we give ourselves wholly unto these things. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, why did I begin from there? When Paul leaves Tarsus of Cilicia, goes to sit under a man called Gamaliel, Paul was convinced that the only truth in the world is under Gamaliel because that was his teacher. He testifies himself. He went and sat. The Bible says, I'm a very young man in the Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous to God, toward God, as you all as you all are this day. He was zealous. But the zeal that Paul carried was because when he went under Gamaliel, having a father which was a Pharisee, his heart was always one thing that his son would study the law. And Paul understood the law. He said he had a zeal of the law more than his only brethren. And he says he even persecuted the church and wasted it. Paul claims it and he says, I, I had a zeal for the law that I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Some of you read that. Let's read, um, uh, give me the amplified of that. Galatians 1.13. He says, for you have heard of my earlier career, former manner of life in the Jewish religion, which was Judaism. How I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively and with fanatical zeal did my best to make havoc of it and I destroyed it. But when Paul was doing that, for him he thought he was doing ministry. For him he was sure. He was what? Doing ministry. And he would go back in his life at home and be satisfied and say, today we killed four Christians. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We shall overcome them. But what gets in the mind of Paul to think that killing people and fighting each other in the gospel was actually ministry toward God. Gamaliel. The scriptures speak of Gamaliel as the doctor of the law. So you're talking of a guy who has been raised under the law. You understand? With Tarsus Cilicia origin. So he, because Tarsus Cilicia is out of Jerusalem. Therefore, he knows the Greek language. He has been raised in the Greek culture. During that time, Judaism has married Hellenism. And therefore, it has a certain kind of belief system. It is as though Christian, but it ain't. Because it disqualifies the testimony of the ministry of the Christ. That's what Judaism does. The central figure of Judaism is Moses. Did you know that? 
In fact, the Judistic Creed, if some of you would go and read the 13, Judistic Creed, the, the 13 points on the Judistic Creed, you realize that the most important point is that there is no prophet which is greater now, before, or after to come, except the Christ, which shall come at the end. In fact, Judists don't believe that Jesus walked this earth in the body. Hallelujah. And that was the thought at Jerusalem. Salvation came in Jerusalem, but there were many people who stayed legal the other side. Do you understand? One time I was sharing with a Christian and I asked them one fundamental question. What killed the church at Jerusalem? Because if the church of Christ never analyzes what killed the church at Jerusalem, I'll tell you the truth. The churches in our nation and across the world are dying every day of the same disease. Do you know why men are struggling in ministries to get people to church, to do what? Even Christians themselves are struggling. It is because the same thing that killed Jude. The, the Jews in Jerusalem and destroyed the church in Jerusalem has crept into the Gentile nations unawares. There's a way God intended to relate with us, but we ignored that kind of condition and went on to establish our own understanding of how God wants to relate with us. Therefore, our lives are creating impressions of failure, disgruntled, disappointment in all areas of our lives. And God is simply communicating to us what you believe is not so. Because the Bible says if you eat and you're not full, if you clothe and you're not warm, ask your ways. Because many a time you've lost the way, the truth, and the life. Right now, for those of you who know, if you go right now in Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, they are Judistic 100%. They don't believe Jesus came on this earth and walked in the body. But how did the center of Christianity die to that extent that you can go and people show you this is these are his feet but the temple in there the temple men don't believe that the guy has yet come or has ever come how did the church get to that place that now salvation is in the gentile community and the jews to whom god belonged to are dead now the same thing i've seen leave judaism is coming now in the gentile church and sometimes i fail to know how we're going to manage tomorrow if certain people's eyes are not open. Let me share with you something. Hebrews 8. Tell your neighbor, Chikora. Let's read. Hallelujah. Are we there? Let's read from verse 6. Oh no, verse 7. Give me the Amplified. I want us to have something. Okay, let's begin. Let, okay, we'll, we'll read both. Uh-huh. One, two, three, let's go. For if that first covenant had been without defect, there would have been no room for another one or attempt to institute another one. What does the King James say in the same verse 7? For if that first covenant, read, had been faultless, uh -huh. then should no place have been sought for a second. Next verse in the King James. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, English, English, verse 7, he says, If the first covenant were, had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. He's talking about the what? 
the covenant. I'm expecting that in the next verse he's going to continue on the covenant. But what does the next verse say? For finding fault with it. For finding fault with it. The Bible says, for finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Meaning that the faultness of the first covenant was that he found fault with them. Every time this covenant was there, men were at fault. Every time it was there, men were at fault. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So he says, for if the first covenant was faultless, there would have not been a need for another. Why, where was the fault? The fault was that he found men faultless. That covenant created fault in men. So is the covenant itself wrong? No. Jesus says, who is good except the law? The law in its own is not bad. But the law in its own does not have the innate ability to create righteousness in a man. It will create fault. It is as hard as it gets, but it's the truth. The reason why this thing has a problem is because every time it is there, men are with fault. For the Bible says that with the law, no flesh shall be justified. Nobody can say, me I've never stolen all my life, even you see me here. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? In every area, the moment the law is put before you, you can judge yourself, no gamba, church to funabba. At least you've done one of the ten. And the Bible says that he that breaks one breaks all. So you're equal to the lying murderer, thief, adulterer, idolater, whatever you want to call it. You're without excuse. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So he says if the first thing had no fault, there would not have been a need for a second one. That is why he says something in, in, in Hebrews against 7. Let's go to the chapter before. Verse 19. Hebrews 7. Can we begin from 19? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think let's go a bit before. Let's begin with 11. Don't worry, we have time. Give me the amplified. Uh-huh. Let's begin with something on the priesthood. He says, now, if perfection, read with me, a perfect fellowship between God and the worshiper had been attainable by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people were given the law. Why was it further necessary that there should rise another and different kind of priest, one after the order of Melchizedek, rather one appointed after the order and the rank of Aaron? Why did he bring another priesthood if you were sure that the first priesthood could sustainably attain a place of perfect fellowship with God by reason of its nature? It means that the first covenant under the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood of Aaron, was only under the consequence of the law and could not bring perfect fellowship between God and the worshiper. No man under the law can have a perfect relationship. That's why people with the law don't do miracles. Legal people, they find it so hard to do miracles. Because they can't have a perfect relationship. Let's continue from where we're at. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. For there is what? For when there was a change in the priesthood, there is of necessity an alteration of the law concerning priesthood as well. 
You get it? So, you cannot produce a new priest under an old order. And you cannot bring an old order for a new priest. New wine does not go in old bottles. What happens with them? They burst. Just, the principle doesn't work. When there is a change in the priesthood, there is a change in the covenant. Do you agree? Now let's continue where we're at. Verse 12. Let's begin from 12. Or perhaps give me the message version of verse 12. I'll read it for you from the message version. He says, but since it didn't get the job done, there was a change of priesthood, which brought with it a radical new kind of law. Because the other one couldn't get the job done. Or probably go to the verse before. Message still. And probably some people to understand. Uh -huh. If the priesthood of Levi and Aaron, which provided a framework of forgiving of the law, could really make people perfect, there wouldn't have been a need for a new priesthood like that of Melchizedek. Next verse. Uh -huh. Let's continue the message. But since it didn't get the job done, there was a change of priesthood, which brought with it a what? A radical new kind of law. Next verse. There is no way of understanding this in terms of the old Levitical priesthood, uh -huh. which is why there is nothing in Jesus' family tree connecting him with the priestly line. Let me, even make, let me even make it worse. Jesus was not Jew. Do you know how many people have started Jewish calendar? Feast of Hanukkah. I look at them in shadows and I think, do they even understand what they are doing? Jesus was begotten by a divine spam. God is not Jew. God is a Ugandan. He was only born by a Jewish mother. The other day I saw somebody with a sticker on his car and he says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. I laughed. There's nothing about the Christ Jewish except his mom. Only that seed that entered Mary that day. <laughs> it was a life, not a tribe. It was a life. It was a life. And in Christ, there is neither no neither slave, no neither Itasot, no, Musoka. All are one in Christ. That's who we are. Say amen, hallelujah. Say amen, hallelujah. As dealing with some Christians, huh? who are now, do you know how many people, me, I'm telling you, the other day I met a Christian. You know, you know, when you go in the Jewish Passover, somebody in the 17th March, somebody in the 25th March, may I want to visit Israel only because it has my story. You get? But you see, meat commendeth us not unto God. Nothing in those feasts creates a relationship between me and God. My relationship is entirely Christ, which is the ultimate feast. So, you see also Ugandans celebrating feast of Hanukkah. Then you say, no. Smanya the Passover. The other day somebody was sending me messages. There was Smanya eating, Smanya the leaves of Smanya the feast of beauty. My said, I have a look at what Buffy did. Listen, Jesus came to us. Are you hearing me? 
He took on the form of a man. He needed to dwell with Jewish people. Are you hearing me? But when he ascended in heaven and came back, he didn't come back to the Jews. That is why even in the second coming of the body, the Bible says he came to his own. <laughs> he didn't say he came back to the Jewish or the Hebrew or the Israelite. No, the Bible says he came to his own. Them which believed on him. Your brothers are looking for you. And he says, who are my brothers? Except Apostle Grace, Pastor Zach. Those which believe on his name. Do you know you're more related to me than your unborn again sister? Because there's something in my blood that understands you. Why? Because we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. But people are still in shadows or feasts and holidays and sabbaths the bible says these things are just a shadow but the substances of christ why do we live in shadows why do we live in shadows hallelujah so when the other let's go back to the message version where he was saying jesus when you look at jesus you don't even see his lineage directly praise the lord jesus christ let me tell you one thing you must understand if you may never understand anything. <laughs> I say it might. Praise the Lord. Probability. Hallelujah. When you look at the lineage of Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew, your eyes will open to something very different. When you begin from Matthew, he says, this is the genealogy. Let's go, Matthew verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I hear him. It begins from calling him the son of. Ah, let's first go there. I want to show you something very interesting. Matthew, chapter one, verse one. I want to show you. Now, when he speaks of the genealogy or the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, we we are meant to understand that Jesus is the son of David, the son of. Now they go in the begettings of Abraham, begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judas, Judas begat Perez. Okay. Let us go down up to verse, verse 14. Verse 14 says, Azor begat Sadok, Sadok begat Ashim, Ashim begat Eliud begat Eliezer, Eliezer begat Mathan, Mathan begat Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of who was born of Stop playing on my head. Unless you want to tell me it was Joseph's sperm. But if it wasn't, Jesus is only a seed of Abraham by faith. That means that by that right, I am as related to Abraham as Jesus was. Do you see the mixture? That I am as related. Because even the Christ who is claiming, Hallelujah. 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 So be of good cheer. Jesus is not alone. Even you, you're like that. You're black, but you're Israel. What a mystery. But there's also a lesson there. There's also a lesson there. It means your stepfather is your real father. 
Those are things of she's not my mother. This other one, me, my real mother. Ah, if you're still in a housewoman, treat her like your mother. But if I only but don't call her, this is my stepmom. Ah, uh-huh. she's not step. Otherwise, Jesus should be introducing Joseph as step. Not original. So if you're here and you have a stepmother but you live with her, introduce her as, address her as, serve her as, submit to her as. If she says she's not your mother, that's her problem. It's not yours. So I'm also strengthening single mothers. Tofayo. Praise the Lord. When you get another man and you have that cattle, count it that that man is the father. And if a guy is not ready to accept you with your kid, so can one thing. Are you going to be the father to my child? If he says no, you tell him, try other women. Try. No, 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 no. First thing, I'm a single mother, it's true. You want to marry me? Yes. My son is here. Are you going to make him your son? Do you know? We shall take him back to the father. There is nothing with you. you. He finds another one. You understand what I'm trying to say? But some women, they tell him, we take him back to the father. No! No! They can't love your son and not love you. And they can't love you and not love your son. Techi Soboka. Techi Soboka. Say amen. Hallelujah. Let's continue. Wow, I win the message. Verse 14. This is says, which is why there is nothing in Jesus' what? Family tree connecting him with that priestly line. Are you hearing me? 15 says, but the Melchizedek story gives a perfect analogy because Jesus, a priest, is like Melchizedek. It explains something perfect. Because Jesus doesn't come from the Aaronic priesthood. He's not a seed of Abraham by reason of sperm, human Abraham. He's a seed of Abraham by reason of faith. Say amen. So that is why the Bible here says that Melchizedek provides a perfect analogy because Jesus is like what? Melchizedek. Verse 16 says, not by genealogical descent, but by the sheer force of the resurrection life. He does what? He lives. The Bible says that he is a priesthood forever in the royal order of Melchizedek. Now it says that the former way of doing things, okay, a system of commandments that never worked out the way it was supposed to, was set what? Aside. The Bible now says that the law brought nothing to maturity. The law brought nothing to maturity. What does the kingdom say? The kingdom says the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did by that which we draw nigh unto God, which is the Christ. That means that the law can't perfect a man. The law can only show the man's weakness. That's where it ends. Does the law save? Answer me, does the law save? No. The law can only tell you you are a thief. But that's where it ends. The law made what? Nothing perfect. Hallelujah. Let's go back to the message version. And let's continue with something there. Uh-huh. Go down. The former way of doing things, uh-huh, a system of commandments that never worked out the way it was supposed to do, was set aside. Uh-huh. 
The law brought nothing to maturity. Another way, uh-huh, Jesus. A way that what? Does work. That what? Brings us right into the presence of God. Is put in its place. So that means the law is replaced. You know, if we live under a lawless, you know, some people are very deceived. They think that lawlessness means sin. But I'm going to break that in a few seconds. Uh -huh, let's continue. Next verse. The old priesthood of Aaron perpetuated itself automatically. Father to son without explicit confirmation by God. Uh -huh. But then God intervened and called this new permanent priesthood into being with an added promise. God gave his word. He won't take it back. You are the permanent priest. Uh -huh. Next verse. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a far better way between us and God. One that really what? Works. And that's a what? Next verse. Uh -huh. Earlier, there was a lot of what? Priests. For they died and had to be uh-huh here up to what eternity to save everyone who comes to God through what praise the Lord Jesus Christ hallelujah are we over with that is that the last verse in Hebrews let's continue that's seven uh-huh so now we have a what who perfectly fits our needs completely uncompromised by with authority extending as high as God's presence in heaven as itself uh-huh unlike the other priests he doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sins every day before he can get around us and our sins he's done it once and for all offered up himself as the sacrifice what does the next verse say the next verse says the law appoints men as high priests. Men who are never able to get the job done right. Me, I am under the law. Now, if you are a priest under the law, you can't get the job done. The King James is even worse. It says the law produces priests which have infirmity. Some of them, the, the, way, the only way you can testify they have God, they go back limping like Jacob. They, they can't have a covenant and, and meeting with God and not limp. No, I refuse that kind of relationship. In the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that now we have obtained a priesthood unto God. But that priesthood is not ironic because we are joint heirs, not co-heirs, so we don't compete. We are joint heirs with Christ. What he has is what you carry. This is love made perfect that you might have confidence on that day. For as he is, so are you in this world. Now, God removes the law and puts Jesus the law. That they don't need to tell you steal or don't steal. No. The guy who can't steal is in you. How can you steal? I want to show you two things and then blow your brain in a few seconds. Hebrews 8. Which verse were we? Verse 11, verse 12. Huh? Verse 7. For if the first covenant, let's go to verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place had been sought for a second covenant. Now let's go. Next verse. It says, For finding fault with the people, you, he said, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, when I will make a 
New covenant. Now, if, if the first covenant finds fault with men, when you make the new covenant, what do you intend? If the first covenant found fault with men, do you intend to make another covenant that makes more fault with men? You seek to establish a covenant that can remove fault from men and impute righteousness on them because the first one, when you told them don't steal, in its own self it wasn't the thief, but it could not remove stealing out of the man. That is why in Romans he said, sin taking occasion of the law created in me all manner of concupiscousness. All manner. Give me the amplified. I want to read it in the amplified because it's even more deadly in there. He says, but sin, listen, finding opportunity in there to do what? So how does sin express itself? If sin wants to express itself, what do you give it? He says, but sin finding opportunity in the commandment to express itself, God a hold on me. Listen, and it what? Aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, lust, covetousness. For without the law, sin is dead. The sense of it is inactive and lifeless. Now, how can you read that thing and stay no more? The Bible has said that without the law, sin is dead. So, if you want to kill sin, what do you do? Now, do you know what our brothers say? They say, now, do you mean we should be lawless? Yes. Yes. <laughs> be lawless and be Christful. I repeat, be lawless and be Christful. That's the principle. There are people right now struggling with lust and many things. But do you know why they're struggling with it? Commandment. Sunday morning they tell him, Temwe never fuka mama 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 like fire. Then fire starts to burn in somebody's body. But why? They were told don't steal, don't steal. They're looking for ways because that's what sin does. It creates in you all manner. That's what the Lord does. The moment they said don't steal, Obanga gambe muntu tukatigendo be we mare. That is why some of you who know, do you know that kids with the toughest parents were the most rebellious? The more you are beaten, the more you be rebelled. The more you are beaten, Then there are parents who never used to beat. Their kids are okay. So I used to wonder. Because let me tell you, when it comes to sin, there is pleasure. And no amount and degree of punishment could ever remove a human being from pleasure. Because everything pleasurous, a human being can stand even to death. That is why a man can smoke and know he's going to die and not stop. Because pleasure can't be controlled. And if you afflict pain, you just stir it more. Because you, if I love my drink, you can't beat me off it. This is my love. Don't you see even these people who have smanya the couples, then the family started to fight them. Those people, they never part. The ones who part are the ones who are supported on the wedding day. Even the parents were there. Those ones, mama. <laughs> but these ones who the uncles ate, I know he's not a Muganda. Those ones, you can stone them dust and rain. They will be there. Mangoes or apples. Because what you refuse, you actually affirm. If you understood that principle, 
You don't understand that we are fighting wrong battles. Christians are holding placards, homosexuality. Don't do that. You're supporting it. Because you, even my daughter who doesn't know it, that day is going to discover it's there. And the Bible says, by the knowledge of the law is sin. Or by the knowledge of sin is the law. The moment you start to, listen, there is an anointing. Eh? For the law is knowledge of sin. There is an anointing eh? that it can't sit on a person and they stay gay. That is what our country needs. It doesn't need we, 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 we. No. There is an anointing it can fall in a guy and tomorrow morning he's straight by reason of the anointing in the name of Jesus. Give them Jesus. What you speak about, you empower. Never forget that. What you speak about, you empower. Imagine those men were holding placards. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He heals the sick and they open blind eyes on the streets. You might never understand me. You might think that I'm supporting. No. The issue here is eh? if, if a man lies, he's the, it's, it's also sin. And it can also lead to a man to destruction. So don't think that you're more special. That the other one is girl for you a sinner who only lies. You're the same. The one area of salvation is Jesus Christ. Only. He's the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. Don't deceive people. Jesus, you give them Jesus. He knows how to sort. You look at you individually. Some of you, there are things in your life nobody could ever remove because the way they entered inside you, oh my God, they were so in there. But man, you started to pray and seek God. Before you know it, you look back and say, you don't even know the last day you lied. But this Jesus in you, he worked in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You can only honor him and give him the respect he has. The law is not the answer to human needs. Jesus is the answer. So the law creates all manner. Some of you, you are not rebellious. But the moment the law came in your life, wah, no tabuka. I wish we spent more time giving people Christ. I just wish we spent more time giving people Jesus because that's who they need. He's the only one who can enter me and tell me not to steal. Not by telling me only, but working in me. Bust to will and to do according to his glory. That it is God. But you see, because they were religious, they only quoted the verse before. What is verse 12? Wherefore, my brethren, as you have always obeyed in my presence, also infirmity and praise only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, because God is a consuming fire. So you are working your salvation. That's why she should tell him. It is God who works in Apostle Christ. Put your name. Both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Give me that God.
Give me that God. Don't tell me, oh, young people, you're sleeping around. Oh, young people, you're lying. The world is too evil. No, the world is getting born again. In the name of Jesus. People are changing. In the name of Jesus. Salvation is being preached. In the name of Jesus. Revival is in Uganda. Look at Fenero and see. The Bible says, when sin increased, grace, not law. But in the world, when border border people overpass, they put more laws. They add more traffic lights. But God said, when sin abounded, grace did. God's answer to this generation is simple. The more you see sin, the more grace. The more you see sin, the more grace. Because grace does not hold men in sin. It works you out of it. It just works you out. Effortless. But I refuse to struggle. I refuse to struggle. I refuse to struggle in the name of Jesus. I refuse to struggle. Do you know why Fanero is growing? Because even in your family, even in your business, even in your jobs, even in your body, I decree and declare that you will not struggle. You will not struggle to be healed. You will not struggle to get another job. You will not struggle to settle. You will not. I refuse to struggle. I refuse to struggle. He's working in me. He's working in me. Let's finish this. Let's finish this. Uh -huh. Verse 8. For, let's read this and finish. For finding fault with them, he what? Behold the days, said the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of, and with the house of, not according to, the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand of Moses. Ah, give me the amplified of that so they understand. Verse 9. Uh -huh. It will not be like a covenant, read, that I made with their fathers on the day when I grasped them by the hand and helped and relieved them and led them out from the land of Egypt. For they did not abide in my agreement with them and so I withdrew my favor and disregarded them. Next verse. For this is the covenant that I will make 
with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will what? Imprint my laws upon their minds. Even upon their innermost thoughts and understanding. And engrave them upon and I will be and they shall be and it will never more be necessary for each one to teach his neighbor and his fellow citizen or each one his brother saying no perceive have knowledge of get acquainted by the experience with the lord for all will know me from the smallest to them because what was breaking that covenant of relationship in perfection which is the law was dealt away with and jesus the mediator of the new covenant came so god doesn't judge you through the eyes of the law he judges you through the eyes of christ next verse next verse for i will for i will be merciful and gracious toward and I will their deeds of unrighteousness no more. In that, when God speaks of a new covenant or agreement, he makes the first one out of what? What is absolute, out of use, and annulled because of age, is ripe for disappearance and to be dispensed with altogether. That thing disturbs people that God can forget your sin. That thing. What do you want to have a terror vida? Boba wabba mu 2000 tutukuma inga muchi. Never know yes we ever. Thank God. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Because now I can look at my witness back years. And know that one is rubbed out. Nobody will ever quote me by 2002. Nobody will ever quote me by 2012. Nobody will ever quote me by yesterday. I'm only quoted present future. Why? Because he shall remember my sins no more. But Jesus finds a man like Judas. If he can find a guy who is a thief and he makes him keep the money. Jesus believes in us. I'm going deeper next Thursday on the same topic. You know why I'm teaching these things? Every time you teach grace, some people think you're teaching sin. But this is their problem. They can't stand freedom. The gospel is too beautiful to be true. Some people, when you preach grace, they say, ah, he's telling people to sin. But you know the problem with those people? I used to ask myself, why are people saying I'm preaching sin? Until I realized, to the pure, all things are pure. But to a defiled man and unbelieving. Jesus set you free. The problem is them, not you. You see, even when you read, I think it's Romans 6, is it? Where people ask the question, shall we continue to sin? Begin from verse 1. 
Shall we? Give me the message version. You just see how Paul answers. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving. Because that's what it is. So shall we keep on? That's the question. Shall we keep on? Who told them? Anyway, what does Paul say? Paul says, I should hope not. And he says, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how? You left Rwanda and came to Uganda. And somebody say, How so does that mean you should continue living in Rwanda? When I left it, how can we still live in our old house there? Next verse. Or oh, didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? We left that life. So anytime people come and say, but does that mean, I ask them how? You first explain to me how a bad, a good tree produces bad fruit. The Bible says a good tree produces bad, good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. No good tree, Jesus, can produce a bad tree, sin. And no bad tree, devil, can produce good fruit, righteousness. So, Next Thursday, before the throne. Now I want you to sing that song. Eh? It's coming from here. Wait, wait. I want. I, please don't leave until we finish this. Okay. I want you to sing these words. You know we used to sing hymns long ago. Nenga, we don't understand them. Now that we know the truth. Now I want us to sing it. One, two, three. Let's go. Where is it now? Wait, where is the engine? Wait, 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 wait. Wait, projector fellow. Uh-huh. I want you to sing those words. Don't leave until we finish service. One, two, three, let's go, huh?
hands down. I want to do something small here. If you know you've been having a personal relationship with God according to the law and today you want to start a personal relationship with God entirely according to his grace and the person of Jesus. If you cannot examine yourself and realize I have been having it in other things but now I realize that it's not what I do it's what he has done. I want you to slit your hand right up. I want to pray with you. Totia. Teria kutwala mukuru. Praise God. Praise God. Now, today, today now, may I count you born again today? <laughs> Say, Lord Jesus, I entirely receive you in my heart. Not based on my own works but based entirely on your finished work that you died for my sins and that you rose again and that you're the Lord of my life and that you're the lifter of my head and that you're the strength of my heart you're the author and the finish of my face you are my beginning and my end you are my righteousness you are my glory. Now I stand on no other thing but you alone. That is where I place my salvation from today. In Jesus' mighty name. <laughs> Make some Holy Ghost now. it's going to even be deeper we want to create understanding such that someone can walk free without those more things of, no, no, God is working in you a hundred percent some of you are even just going to forget habits that they can tell you have you stopped stealing and you ask him what is stealing some of you are going to forget even the sparing and the grace the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.